Say what? Say what radio show? With no agenda. It's always a surprise. But if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. And welcome to... Oh, shoot. <laughs> and welcome to the Say What Show. Um, yeah, a little, little discombobulated here. Um, my name is Nancy Hopkins. The date is November 18, 2023. And with me is uh, Walt Silva, Mona Radler, and Jan Shaw. Dolly is off with her family. She's been sending me out. She sent me a half a dozen pictures of herself having a good time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, she's off doing that. And um, we just heard Jan Shaw's show that it was a good show. I, I mean, I, I always I always so appreciate your shows. And uh, we'll, we'll get into some of the things she said there because... Um, because there was a lot into it. Um, but right now, I want to um, to say hi. Hi, Walt. How are you? Hello, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How's your yeah. mom doing? Oh, uh, fine. She, she's little, little by little. Uh, now they're getting her to stand up more. Now she's not using that, uh, that what is it that they call it? It's got a special name to it. A but walker? No, no, the, the special device to get it out of the bed. They, they stopped do, using that, and now they're using another device that uh, allows her to stand by herself. Cattle prod? No. 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 <laughs> I, I know that's, that's effective, but no, no, it's not a... <laughs> I was thinking of a crane. <laughs> Is it a crane? Uh, no, it's, it's like a frame that allows you to stand, and it holds you up as you stand. It... it it, yeah, it um, withstands your body weight as you as your legs uh, make you stand. So if she finds it easier to get out of the bed with it, this device is, is much nicer than the than that other thing, which is very risky. <laughs> it's the thing that with which she had the accident. So, oh, by the way, that that uh, that employee was fired. The one well, with the good. The accident, I mean, so. yeah, you you have to have consequence for things like that. Yeah. So, I bet the rest of the staff is relieved. She's gone. <laughs> the bitch is gone. Well, they're relieved that my mother didn't raise a stink or called. Uh, oh, have a lawyer. Uh, you know, sue the place. Uh, yeah, yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's the motivation, probably. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, but still, you know, it, that was disturbing to hear that that had happened. Mm. So anyway, uh, thank you for being here. And um, Mona, how are you doing? It's all okay. Day by day. Huh? Yeah, hour by hour. You got something behind you going? I don't think so. Anybody else here? Uh, I'm just hearing the heating, which is normal for the house. I'm the only person in the house, and it's a hot air. Jan, do you hear anything behind me? A little rumbling in the background, but it may be um, heating. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let me. I don't think I've got anything on. 
Um, which is uh, all right. Let me just do a couple of turnoffs and we'll see. Okay, you guys just talk. Okay. Well, hello everybody. Jan hello, here. hello. <laughs> How's your new life, Jan? I'm sorry. What was that, Mona? How's your new life? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, really. I bet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was just realizing yeah, this is. This is three weeks on the trot, we say what, till one in the morning. So, but when Nancy said that uh, Dolly couldn't make it, I said, well, do you need me to come on? And I'm a glutton for punishment, but I do enjoy these shows. So I said it energizes <laughs> me when we're having a good conversation. So, yeah, uh, she told us that you're mostly by your lonesome because like you record the shows, but it's only you and just you. So at least this, you have uh, other voices. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah absolutely yeah because i you know because i'm pulling together a lot of different material it 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 doesn't work if you're doing that live you know because mm -hmm. i have to find the right pieces and everything um, but i'm actually dog sitting this week um mm. so it, you know because it the place is very empty without keisha um but i've had my brother's dog here since monday so that's been nice to have another energy in the house, you know, and uh, she's very appreciative of the attention she's getting. So <laughs> it's been quite nice, really. What kind of dog? She's a cocker spaniel. Aww. She's a sweetheart. I, I'm not sure if she's nine or 11. She's not a youngster at all, but uh, and she's got a few issues that I don't think my brother has been picking up on, I'm going to tell him he needs to take her to the vet when she goes home. So, because uh, I'm very tuned into animals and things and, you know, not just the physical, but the spiritual. I have a very close connection and uh, I'm very observant of things. And if, if, if they're doing things repeti repetitively, it's like indicating that there's something not quite right here. So uh, I shall report back to them and say, you really need to take, I mean, nothing serious, but irritations and things like that. So they really need to get it seen to. Um, and I'm sure they love her, but they're not, they're not that focused on her or um, tuned in, if that makes sense. So. You mean they have their own lives? <laughs> Yes, probably more than they need, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. My life is my animals, you know? Yeah. Well, they've had a lot going on. I mean, just like I, my experience since I got here was very much um, a challenge because of what they were going through as well, because my brother's getting divorced and he's he'd sold his house and we're all having to be disrupted and move around and everything else. So, you know, it's it's been a very disruptive year for all of us, actually. Um, and, I mean, I, I focused a lot of attention on Keisha to try and help in any way I could with researching all sorts of natural remedies and things. I mean, she, she had to go. It was inevitable. But... Um, you know, she she was my priority when I knew that she had 
that her issues are getting worse, whereas it's not the same priority for them, which is fine. I mean, they are who they are, but, um, well, you know. She wasn't that old, was she? No, she wasn't. She actually would be eight um, this coming a week today, actually. She would have been eight. So, mm -hmm. no, she wasn't old at all. But, uh, you know, uh, she had to go. Well, I had a, a an interesting week. <laughs> yes, um, you did. <laughs> again. Walter, the eagle failed me. I flooded out again. Oh, how much water? Three? Seven, seven inches in the house. Wow. Whoa, I was thinking about you and that weather down there yeah but now we've had floods at this time of the year you know it's not like it this is the dry season you know and <laughs> but this thing came in and anybody who might have seen the uh the it, it was a huge system and it started to rain but not intensely and we had been in you know we needed the rain that's that's good you know and a little rain here but it never stopped and you could see i mean 100 percent chance you know every hour for two days basically and i went out i checked the, the eagle everything was fine and for a quite a while even though the storms were coming in i wasn't really getting hit bad i mean the the bad stuff was going around me so I'm thinking, okay, I think it's going to be fine. And I never lost the feeling. I never thought, oh, I'm going to flood out again. I just was like, oh, God, I got to prepare just in case. And preparing just in case is, you know, make sure there's nothing on the floor. Uh, well, except apparently the rug that's under the computer chair. Because I was talking to Jan earlier, and I didn't have any shoes on. And I sat down, and I went, oh, shit, the wet rug's still here. Because it was until yesterday I could get back into the house. It, this all started, I guess, Wednesday. And I could get back into the house um, to start washing the floors yesterday. But this was what, well, anyway, let me tell you about the storm. So, this, but this storm, you know, when um, Irma came through, I was over at Sandy's house and the way the winds were blowing we could actually stand on the porch and watch what was happening to my trees because they were getting the ship beat out of them um, from the backyard I was looking into my backyard and she was standing next to me and I said now she's lived here probably as long as I have you know 50 years or so and I said to her I said does this feel oh for God's sakes She's still, she's still, she is still sending me images, and she doesn't realize it's six o'clock, Dolly. <laughs> maybe I should look at. Anyway, well, will in a minute. Maybe she's saying hi, group. I don't know. Anyway, so um, she's standing next to me. I said, Sandy, does this storm feel natural? And her eyes were really kind of wide, and she looked at me and she shook her head no. So even she felt that it was a, an energy field that w didn't feel natural. And this storm that was the same sort of thing. It's like, 
yeah, I, I've watched these storms. Um, this one was massive. It was not like normally you get some kind of a core, and then at the sides of it, you'll you'll get peripheral rain and stuff. Um, and there, you know, there's different pockets within this, but this thing was almost like I don't hurricane. know. Maybe, no, it, it looked wasn't. Like a hurricane. It looked just well, like it, a hurricane. It looked the size of it in the way it was, but. The difference was that it, inside of it, if you looked at it, I mean, I, I must have looked at the map a hundred times, um, you know, what, what was happening with it. But inside of it, it was almost like there were two dozen. No, I would. No, no, not two dozen. I no, many more dozens, like maybe. Maybe a hundred different storms inside this great big body of storms and i mean you can see the core it would get real yellow and then down here i don't know what the maps are in other places but yellow is you know when it's bad and um like when you had a, a a purplish and blue that's you know nothing really and you could see it they look like a whole collection of little storms i've never seen that before so you think the cabal was targeting you? Well, not me, but South Florida. Mm. You know? Well, because you know why? Well, because they they're desperately trying to keep this climate thing happening. Oh, we're in a climate crisis. Right. So and so they have that situation there, where here in South Florida, where. I mean, the entire fl- South Florida was flooded out. Whoa. And, you know, again, it, even though I had the seven inches in the house, that was not, that that's a, not a bad flood at all. <laughs> the floods that get to you are the ones that are three feet. Those are the ones you, and I ha- I've had one of those. So it wasn't that bad, but it also there was just something about the way the wind oh that was it it was the wind so i'm up over her house sleeping there and just i it was raining 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 and i'm going like i all i can think of is how deep is it getting in my house and then i nod off a little bit and then it stopped and that woke me up because it had stopped and right after that this wind picked up and it was a I mean, I've I've not been I've been in Sandy's house during a hurricane and stuff, and you know, not compare comparable, but there were gusts that were very formidable. And when I came back to the yard, I had an entire tree down. Hmm. And the weirdest part about it was that it was in the middle of the forest, because normally when a tree comes down in a storm. It's your peripheral trees because all the trees help break up the wind. But this was right dag in the middle of the backyard forest area. And um, then there was another big branch that had come down. They always miss the house, thank God. They missed the shed. This, oh my heavenly day, this had to be a hundred foot tree that came down. And it brushed against the shed. The outer limbs brushed against the shed. The, the then I look out at the at the front gate and there's a big limb out there blocking the front gate. 
but it didn't hit the fence. Every time that I have a storm here, it's like the trees are going, don't, don't, don't hit that fence. Don't hit that house. Get old. Mr. <laughs> Jack. <laughs> you know, Sounds like you're blessed. Yeah. You know, so even though it was, uh, oh, and the other thing is, is I'm wondering if the wind was enough that it actually kind of churned up the, the water because I've washed these floors three times and they still need to be washed. It's like there was must have been mud in the water, uh, which you don't normally get in in a storm that doesn't have wind like that. <laughs> Could extra yeah. water be seeping up through the foundation? Oh, the water does come up underneath the foundation. That That's how South Florida gets flooded. I mean, I've got other situations in that I am the lowest spot. But, you know, people say, why don't you put a berm? And I'm going, what's what's a berm going to do? It comes up underneath everything. And I know this because I know where uh, in the house the water starts showing up first. Right. You know, and it's it's not coming through the doors. In the back is even lower than the front. So in the back, all of a sudden, you've got water in there, and it's coming from everywhere. Not the door so much as just it's it's underneath. It's coming up from underneath. I know that. So um, yeah, it, it's it was an experience, another another experience. But again, um, I didn't get all stressed out. I'm pissed off because I had just the week before washed these floors. Every one of them. And I, I mean, it's, I took an entire day and I had a scrub brush because these floors are actually slabs of quartzite, um, which is a, a very strong, like a, a flagstone you'd see in a patio. But this is uh, gray and silver, sometimes gold streaks through it. And so every time, and it's full of quartz, and every time, so it's called quartzite. But every time you walk on it, when you hit it, you send off an electric charge from the floor. Hmm. And I have dropped glass, glass on this floor. I don't know how many times, and it doesn't break. And I have, I can't tell you why. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. very strange. But you're uh, weird. You're weird. <laughs> I know. I know. And, you know, it's funny to see people come into this house because the house itself is a hundred years old. And it's one of the ways that it was the way they built in South Florida, which is to make a frame and then put some mesh on it with a tar paper backing and then put stucco over it. And that's your that's your building. No cinder blocks, no no wood structures. It was a frame with this concoction on it. So. When I bought the house, it it should have never gotten a 30-year mortgage. It should only have gotten a 15-year mortgage because in certain areas of South Florida where they didn't have they didn't mix the concrete exactly the way you need it, the entire sides of houses were just coming off and there's a frame, an open house. You know? <laughs> so they uh they went after this and I don't blame them if you'd seen that happening. Um, but when these people came, well, when the guy came to inspect this, 
he didn't see it as a stucco frame. He saw it as a concrete block house. That's what he put on his inspection sheet. <laughs> and so I got the 30-year mortgage, which, you know, I couldn't have afforded a 15-year one. But the 30-year uh, was fine. And so so there's everything about this, this property has got a kind of a magicness to it, you know. And um, people come on the property... And there's, you know, it's it's 200 and some feet between the gate and the house. And by the time they get halfway through this, people who have, who are not even energy sensitive, never mind the energy sensitive ones, just as a normal average person gets that far into the yard and they are stoned. <laughs> totally stoned. Like they had just put out a reefer. And some of the conversations that I've had with these people, workers who come to the electric people, everybody that comes to this property, they essentially get stoned on it. Because first off, you've got a huge collection of all sorts of minerals. There's probably tens of thousands of dollars of minerals in this place because I was a mineral collector and I also sold and bought and all that sort of thing. And I would buy a big rock and then as soon as I got at home, I'd get this messaging into my in my head. Okay, now take this over to the northeast corner and put this in the ground. What? So thousands of dollars of stones I've just never seen once they entered the property after I put them wherever they told me to put them. I should they're, definitely they're, have to come and visit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, I, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm going to... Um, uh, essentially make a deal with the county to take this property over and make it into a rainforest so that the flooding will happen but it'll be more contained and if you put the right kind of plants in here which luckily I have quite a few of them already they pull up the uh, flood water very quickly plus I have oh this was a, this was insanity I the one of the first floods I had the Water was gone from everybody else, but it wasn't gone from me. And this guy that was renting uh, a room here, he had a friend who was a driller. They would put in wells and this sort of thing. And this guy comes over and he says, why do you have a flooded yard? And I said, I have no idea. It's, it's just not going down. And so he got his truck with the drilling equipment on it and came over to the yard and drilled down to see what the hell was happening. And he found out that, how far down did he say? Gee, I don't, oh, I know, it was about 20 feet down. There was Amazon, he called it Amazon muck. And because the lay of the land was taking all of this water to what's called Arch Creek River, which ran between my property and Sandy's property until... They did flood control, and they altered the the path of that river. And so, but the lay of the land still wants to take that water into the river that's no longer there, because the river would take it to the Atlantic. So, apparently over the thousands of years that this was set up by nature, m muck, you know, I mean, not mud, but muck. It, it won't let, it actually sealed off the, the aquifer and wouldn't let the water get down. It couldn't drain. 
So it would sit here until, oh, it was a week. This one was a week after everybody else didn't have any water on their property. You know, I've still got water on my property. But so he, then he comes in and he drills uh, 30 feet down with a 8, is it 8 or 10, I think it's a 10-inch uh, PVC pipe that is acts like a drain for this property. And ever since they put that in there, um, this property has drained rather rapidly. I mean, at least comparatively to the other properties around me. So one day I'm out in the yard and I see some official looking people at the gate and I go on up there and they're they're from uh, the South Florida Water Management and they want to inspect the the uh, the uh, well that I had on the property. I said, what well? I had no idea what they were talking about. So they start talking and then I go, oh, oh, you think it's a well? No, it it's a drain. And I explained the whole thing to them. And they were like mystified. And they said, okay, we got to have a supervisor come down. So the supervisor comes down, who's an Italian, loved the guy from the instant I started talking to him. We had such a good conversation. And he was a supervisor for the entire South uh, Florida area, uh, water management. So I tell him what's happening. I show him and everything. And he he signed off on all the paperwork that this was this is this is not a well it's actually a drain and blah 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 so i have that as part of this property that this property all already had well it probably i don't know how much it would have cost to to actually drill this thing because he never charged me he just drilled it <laughs> there was no permitting nothing let's just see if we could fix this you know he's a good old boy and um, so, and the only reason that the the state found out about it was he got divorced and his wife went through all the financial papers for the business. And there was this address where he had done this work, but he didn't, she couldn't find any payment for it. And that's how the state got involved and it was over this divorce case. <laughs> so you, could, you know, this what you were saying is muck. It sounds rather like clay. I mean, do you yes. have clay yes. there? Because it I know it, it doesn't let things drain. It, no, it, it holds. It, well, yeah. it's it. That's what allows a, a lake to be filled. The clay. Mm. Yeah. Yep. But that that's what's like he said. Well, he made the pipe. I know goes down thirty feet. And I think he he started finding it at twenty feet. Mm. So um, yeah, it, it's 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 been a voyage on this property, I must say. But something that the universe wanted me to do, and it's well, it got sounds all- magical actually, from what you've been saying, you know. And Irma's even putting. In chat, I can testify this house is a magic place. You get into a different dimension when you enter the backyard. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Irma's here. Hi, Irma. And I know from from your cosmic reality book, which I keep meaning to read again, but I remember you talking about these um, experiences on the property and um, just uh, magical experiences. 
Well, the the first thing that started out was everything about me getting this property was was weird. It was all orchestrated, not by me. And so I take ownership of the property, and then I was into metaphysics, but all of a sudden it was like metaphysics became the dominating theory, <laughs> you know, in my life. It's almost like the property took ownership of you. <laughs> well, I've always known I was a caretaker. I don't mm -hmm. own this property. It owns me, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, which is fine with me because it's a magical place to be. But I mean, like, it's one thing to read books or listen to podcasts or that sort of thing. But it's another entirely different situation when you're experiencing things that just don't have any 3D real world explanation. Could I say something that just occurred to me that... Um, <clears throat> the water that accumulates on your property when these things happen is being energized to move, to then disperse around the neighborhood. Well, it's more than that. It goes into the aquifer itself, which is the water yeah. that people drink. Yeah. And yes, I mean, not only is there thousands of dollars of different versions of minerals, there is a quarter of a ton, a quarter of a ton of shungite in this yard. Mm. So, yeah, it's very, it's very obvious. And, and, and when the flood is here, it is magical. I mean, it's just, oh, I didn't hear any frogs. That's not a good indicator. I just realized that. Hmm. Very strange. No frogs. Not a good sign. I haven't seen them, but... In a flood where you haven't seen any frogs, maybe one or two, all of a sudden it would be, it sounded like thousands of them were out there. Oh, gee, you know. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to mention that to Sandy. She's some, and, and the neighbors I've got. I mean, anybody else, the, the two people behind me, um, the, anybody else would have easily sold those properties for a tremendous amount of money because they both bought them from a guy that owned three lots and was moving. And he was very careful to put people on the property that he thought would love the property. So he gave him an excellent buy. And both Sandy and Steve have maintained the wilderness approach to it. Now, my yard is definitely a jungle. Uh, Sandy keeps hers sort of manicured, but still a very impressive place. And Steve doesn't have the, uh, well, I think he unfortunately might have taken down some of the, the shrubs and the small trees that end up nurturing big trees because he's got a lot of open space there. You know, nothing much more than grass growing. Um, but, he, it, the, you know, everything is like it was when we moved in, in their case, at least 30 years ago. And it, it's just, it's, you know that you got people right there that will help you out in any way they can, their family. Mm. So it's a good neighborhood. Um, 
all I mean all my neighbors are we've worked together on a lot of projects so it's a it's a very blessed place to live but on top of that you have magic I mean Gene Rockefeller came here and Sasquatch showed up so that that was I don't know if you ever heard that story Mona but it was it was so funny she Jean was okay I was washing dishes and behind me is the door to go out to the outside and so I had my back to it well Jean was going to go outside and it's got a it's it's a, a a door but it's got glass in it and so she she's pushing the latch it's the little weird latch that you know a lot of weird things about this house but it's a latch so getting out the back door you sort of have to watch what you're doing so she's looking down the door's opening up and all of a sudden she feels like somebody has stopped her from opening up the door so she looks up and she's looking into the face of sasquatch well not exactly his face (laughs) you know (laughs) but he's she's looking at sasquatch and she screams. I turn around, and she does this jump. Thank God she's a littler than I am. And I swear to God, she would have jumped in my arms if I could have held her. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know what she's she's yelling about. You know this. And oh my God. So after that, it was like you know, Sasquatch took on the form of a of a squirrel. Mm-hmm. They can do this, and. You know, all of a sudden, because you remember, Jean's is very psychic and talks to animals. You know, we're outside uh, sitting under the patio, and she says to me, uh, that squirrel, something about that squirrel. And I look up, I and, and I look at this squirrel, and I went, well, yeah, that's, we don't have that squirrel here. I don't know where this squirrel came from. We only have gray squirrels, and this was like a, a brown squirrel. Hmm. And it was moving weird. It was, it, you know, and she's she's going like, I think it's Sasquatch doing that. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of, are you doing this, you know? And it was, yes. And I finally said, why are you doing this to Gene? And they, he told me, he said, because we want her to see us. We want her to know that we're real. So... She hasn't been back since, <laughs> but she knows the Sasquatch is real. Oh, my God. There's been um, times during the 90s where shamans would come to this property. Um, one of them was a Teo Indian shaman. Uh, and I've actually got a, one of his art pieces here in the house. And uh, Teo Indian, I mean, they, they're so so magical their history is amazing and uh he was here and then this is another one of those strange stories i had gone to a uh get together at the local metaphysical center and these this couple were we just got along really well and they were doing drum work and um semi channeling but it was i don't actually remember the details of it right now but it was very impressive and very very sweet and it was native she's total native american he had he had assumed the native american lifestyle even though he wasn't uh, of that lineage and so they i said to him you know if you ever want to go to a really magical place you can come over to my place and we'll put on you know a drumming center a circle thing so they came over and they were like immediately like Oh my God, this place is amazing. 
So they asked me if they could bring a friend of theirs over. And so I said, yeah, sure, whoever you want. So a couple of days later, they come back and they've got this guy, Jerome, with them. And he was the, he was the shaman for the local Mikasuki. And he was married to the Mikasuki princess. He was actually a Mohawk from uh, northern New York State who had, when he was born, Mona, you know about this, the placenta was over his face, over his head. A veil. Uh-huh. Veil. And that indicates, well, tell me, what, what do you know the Native Americans uh, say about that? Well, they bring in a higher consciousness and can see through dimensional realities and do like Jan does, can speak to other entities. And like... Okay, because he he got taught by Extra. seven different tribes, took him in as a child, and taught him what they knew about the magic of shamanism. Right. Would that is that something that they would maybe likely do? And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's almost like what little Buddha goes through. Yeah. Yeah. But the weird thing was, was that um, while we were talking, and I really didn't, I mean, I kind of got the backstory as we were going through this. But while we were talking, he looked down at my hand and he said, uh, that ring. And I said, I had like five rings on and I said, this one? And he said, yes, that one. And I said, yes, I love that one. I've never, I don't even know what the rock is. It's very special. And so I, I look up at him and I'm telling him, I bought it from somebody at the Mikasuki powwow. And he looked back at me. He said, yes, that was me. <laughs> he had made it. <laughs> and I had bought it from him. You know, and the tie right then and there was, you know, and that ended up in, in a long, well, you know, in, in, in that day and age, long time was a few months of knowing somebody and having some experiences together. Because what he said to me, he said, what am I supposed to learn from you? And I was, I was like, I have no idea, but we'll find out. <laughs> and we had, we had just such a, went on a lot of different events with him and stuff, and he was very special. So uh, that, the, so the property even would attract some very, very powerful people. I mean, it, it, it just amazed me, the people that would show up on this property. So, yeah, so I had a flood, and uh, <laughs> it might not be the last one, but I think you're right, Jan, because even though I was flooding out, I felt like there was some purpose to it. And mm. I think, that, you know, you you made that, uh, you know, got that in my head. Well, maybe that is the purpose to it. Mm. Yeah, it just came to me. Yeah, because it would make sense. Mm. It certainly would make sense. And today when I was walking over to Sandy's house, now my my yard, because it's been allowed to go jungly, has actually risen. I used to be the lowest place, but now the back of her yard is. Because, you know, the more vegetation you have on a property, the more vegetation goes into making the soil thicker and 
deeper. Yeah, it stabilizes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, so I was actually dry. Not, I mean, it was, the flood wasn't there. And I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, I see this six-inch piece of glass, and it's it's thick glass, at least maybe a quarter of an inch of glass, sticking up with a little shard next to it, but they were sticking up out of the ground. And, I mean, I had, the dog and I had been walked through that same pathway earlier. It was just really weird. I don't know what the hell why there would be glass way the heck back in the that area and i'll tell you another thing um because this property all the properties right there have not really had that much interaction with human beings in that there's just not that energy there the original energy of the river you can still feel the river but when you go out there and you're really, really quiet and you get just let your mind open up to what's happening around you, there was there was Native Americans living right there in that backyard on the river. Mm. You know, it, it's likely that this property was actually the home of the very earliest Native Americans here. And uh, you what, know, what, what was the na- what would the native tribe have been there? Well, I'm trying to remember because it begins with a T, and I never really un- heard the name enough to earn, had to learn the name. But it's uh, a Native American. They, they, well, when they've been digging up in certain areas, they've actually uncovered villages. Right in downtown Miami, they had this hotel, and they started to put in the, uh, you know, dig it up for the foundation. And they uncovered one of these sites, and they, the site was declared a historical site, and the hotel had to build around it. Mm. And um, so they know that there was this Native American tribe. Well, the history of Florida gets really very interesting if you're studying the Mayans. Because there's been rumors that the Mayan had gotten all the way to, to Florida. And this one guy did a... a the Mayans have all the way in Wisconsin. In, in, fact, in fact, when you, when you look at the parallel, you know the parallel lines? Right. The parallel lines that cross the field in Wisconsin where there, there are Mayan ruins, there are two Mayan pyramids in Wisconsin... When you look at the parallel lines, they they are the same lines that cross the Yucatan. Wow! They, they follow the Yucatan, so you can actually see it when when you to go to Wisconsin. And he and uh, someone who worked with me years ago, he told me something weird about that. When you go there, the the um, air, the area is dominated by the two pyramids. They're they're done. They're not gigantic pyramids, but they are two of them. And the curious thing about it is that there, it, when you go into the it's it's considered a a national monument. Nobody can touch that. It, you, you know you can visit it, but you can't alter anything. And but he says it's the weirdest thing is that it's all open sky. But once you step into this field where the, these pyramids are, your your um, uh, s- satellite detection, your device, you know, your 
you know the the what do you call it i think they call it a navsat or something it's a it's a little handheld device that tells you where you are because it follows the the the, the satellites and it tells you the location of where you are on the earth right well when you enter the this field where the pyramids are all detection disappears you cannot detect a single satellite it's like this the field is outside of the earth <laughs> you cannot detect a single satellite inside when you're inside this field uh, the, this national monument wow <laughs> what's the name of it Walt? do you know uh let me look while you guys talk like look at uh, the map <laughs> because um what this guy did was he was following the trade routes to uh and it had to do with the blue that you see associated with the mayan culture because it was a blue that was only available because of the plants or whatever there in the mayan nation and yet this they were archaeologically finding this blue in other parts of the country so after you said that i said yeah, I think that he, he realized that there was trading going on up into that area because some of this blue stuff has been found. But he ended up coming all the way back into Florida. And the locals knew about this Mayan pyramid um, that nobody, no, I mean, I've never heard about it. It's not in any metaphysical or Mayan history that I've ever seen. But the locals up in the central part of Florida uh, knew where this Mayan structure was. And the Mayans always laid these things out in a certain geometric uh, pattern. And he confirmed that the thing was there, that they were, it was the same pattern. You could see, oh, and look at that over there. That's the dot and that's the dot. You know, it's all covered over. It's nobody's living there or anything. It's all covered over with vegetation and stuff. So, uh, yeah, the, we don't know very much about these Mayans at all. They're all over the place. But I've often wondered if that tribe wasn't somehow or another an offshoot of the, the Mayans. But who knows? Okay. But, yeah. There's one in, uh, there's a, a sunken pyramid inside in, in Wisconsin. There's a, there's a lake called Rock Lake. And it has sunken pyramids inside the lake. Uh, when you look at the at the map, it looks like a <laughs> like a uh, what do you call it? Like a light bulb, you know? It's smaller on the top and then bigger on the bottom. But it's a uh, it it's called Rock Lake. Uh, if you look at the map, uh, I have it. Hold on, here. Let me give you the link here faster this way. And uh, this particular lake is full of uh, uh, an an anomalies. Like, for example, um, Frank Joseph. There's a, it's a man who's written many many books, and he's traveled all over the world. And he's he's got written books about Atlantis and Lemuria and, and things like that. And he went he he went to this lake, and he did a lot of investigation. And one of the things that he couldn't understand is like. Um, they went uh, diving into the lake, and all of a sudden, he, he 
it was uh, overpowering the sound of like imagine there was a giant crowd of people like all all uh, claiming or yelling at once and and they were looking around and there there were him and the other uh, person were alone in the lake and they were just you know floating having jumped the boat and it was uh, it was deafening the sound of this crowd it was imagined hundreds and hundreds of people uh, clamoring all at once and then what happened is as they moved toward the boat once they put their hand on the boat all the sound stopped <laughs> as long as they were not touching the boat they could hear the sound of the people uh, it was the strangest thing the other thing is that in his dive of this lake that there's a there he found a, he took pictures of the sunken pyramid but it, interestingly enough there's a there's a couple of round pyramids they look like cones instead of having four-sided it's round and it's a pyramid so he had a he spent like over an hour exclaiming explaining all the different things that he encountered in this lake called Rock Lake. It's in, it's in uh, like I said, Wisconsin. Hidden history, secret history. Yeah. They don't want us to know this stuff. And Ooh. north of this lake, if you look at the map, you see that there's a, there's a highway that runs along the top of the lake. Okay, on the other side of the highway, north of this lake, is where the, you have this national monument where you have the two uh, pyramids. Uh, this, is, this is the place where once you walk into the the, the territory of the two pyramids, uh, all your satnav data disappears. You cannot detect any any satellite at all. So, so it's putting off an energy field then. I I it must be. It's the yeah. only explanation. Wouldn't you think that scientists would be all over this trying to figure this out? Oh no, they don't want you to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would challenge everything. You know, we can't do that. We're, we're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. They, they have to s secure the sacrosanct uh, value of their books. <laughs> their books are like Bibles. I mean, so they have to protect that their books. No, no, nothing. No, nothing uh, challenges the the statement in their books. So if if, <laughs> if their books say this thing happened, it happened. We, even though <laughs> you find that it's not true. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> so that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it always, you know, it always fascinates me, makes me wonder how so many crop circles appear in southern England. You know, what is the draw? I know you've got Stonehenge there and everything, and there are a lot that are not that far from Stonehenge, but, and there are ley lines and everything, but it, you know, every time you hear, or most times you hear about crop circles forming, they're in England, you know? Why is, why is that, well, that uh, whole area, a focus? Again, that whole area, I don't remember the woman's name, but this woman was studying the area and she realized that through, all those different hills and things that are in that same area, 
that they're actually representing uh, astrological signs. Right. You remember that story? I mean, it was a no, I don't actually, but it, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that all of those little hills, it's you know, they they could be natural, but they could no, maybe, they they I know there are there are uh, mounds. They're mounds rather right. than hills that are ancient. Right. Yeah, but they're all from from. If you look at it, it's all the the uh, signs of the zodiac. So for whatever reason that area is you know important to something mm. well so janet should read about the vedros because the vedros if you remember the story of the dolmens all the all of the dolmens are made with rock they were there because they were it was a way to connect with the ancestors each each dolmen is housing the the soul of one of your ancestors because the soul doesn't experience time like humans experience time for them one year or one century is the same uh you you remember what happened when with uh, with anastasia when when uh her uh, uh i don't know how old she was the uh, the ancestor that uh, was tied to one of the dolmens uh it was it was so powerful i mean it nothing could affect her she says my ancestors i mean she's so powerful she uh, psychic, um, uh, psychic devices that have no effect on her. She just laughs at that because uh, I, I mean they're they've been there for the longest time and they're they're incredibly powerful. So, oh, the, the so name what, of the, the name of the spark is Astalan. So before I forget. So what did you say I need to look into? It began with v, the V. Oh, oh the Vedrus. In v Russia. V-E-D-R-U-S, Vedrus. Oh, okay. So they are the ones who, and that's why if you if you do a search on dolmens and, and in Europe, all over Europe, you'll find these dolmens. It happened because whereas it was a common place that people, you know the, the way Dolly talks with Dave and the members mm -hmm. of her group? Okay, that was so commonplace, everyone did it. Everyone right. was able to communicate with their ancestors when they needed advice, when they needed help, when they needed information. But something happened in the ancient past, it must have been in the Kali Yuga, where people got disconnected. So the only way to maintain the connection with your ancestors is somebody somebody would make a decision that they would, of their own free will, they would choose to stay. After the death of the physical body, their consciousness chooses to stay in a in a place, and and you can come over to that to that. Uh, the dolmen looks like a little like a like a little hut made of pure stone. Uh, there were always <clears throat> two or three stones making a, a a hut like like a little hut, and they would have a a circular hole in it. So you would come to this, and you would uh, invoke uh, your your ancestor whoever whoever was uh, had been uh, represented by that dolmen so and anastasia had a uh, uh, mcgray visit the dolmen of her ancestors it was a uh, very tricky to find because no one had maintained it for centuries but he was able to find it and uh, she's so she she's so powerful she 
made miss me to Anastasia, even though she's so powerful herself. Uh, her ancestress is was powerful beyond measure. So, and this is from the is it the ringing of the cedars or something like that? Yeah, the ringing the ringing cedars of Russia. It's yeah. in one of the books because it's nine books. Because <laughs> I I remember oh several years ago you took talking about that and I did I did look up the books I've never got around to reading them I've just got a stack of books here waiting for me to read but I really must read those because it sounds fascinating so it, it is you you won't be disappointed mm. well the weird thing is that Walt and I did every one of those books in in a series of shows on cosmic reality and so we'd both read the book, and then that week we would have like a book review. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, he'd be talking about what he heard, and I'd go, I don't remember reading that. <laughs> then I'd say something, and he'd go, I don't remember reading that. You know, and so apparently it, they're, the mad, they're kind of magical books that they, every person might read a different story. I mean, the basics mm. are the same, but episodes that I don't, I think I would have remembered I didn't. Well, I think some things uh, you connect with so they stick in your mind and others, because they say that, you know, with other books, you know, you can read them more than once and you'll get different messages every time you read them, which I think is true. Well, one of the most fascinating parts of the of the book that I remember, the chapter where uh, Anastasia talks about telegony, it's a it was it's it's a genetic condition that it's it's, it's incredible because it's something that it's it, only the females have this capacity of telegony, which is there are cases where uh, women have been at attacked by their spouses that they've been cheating on them for whatever reason. And the woman, rightly so, defends herself because she has cheated with no one. She has not slept with any man besides her husband. And yet the child looks nothing, nothing like the husband. So McGray goes, uh, goes on to explain the, the, this genetic quality called telegony where the females, they have the unique power they can imprint imprint the child with the, gen, the genetic feature, the uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the physical features that the, the female wants. So just because you love your husband, but maybe I don't know, in the case you you're you're so in love with the previous spouse or mate or whatever you had, the child gets imprinted with the shape of the man that you truly loved. Not the one that you're married with, so you mm. you, you you had this thing that has caused a lot of uh, friction and arguments between couples because the child looks nothing like the <laughs> nothing like the father, and that's because the the mother was in love with another man. So yeah, that's, that's like when a black child shows up in a white family. It's all yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 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 that is called telegony. And uh, and it uh, she this she describes that in uh, even in in even animals they had it 
because uh, there is I don't know if it's if it's around anymore if, or it became extinct. There used to be a, an animal like this, like the zebra, but unlike the zebra, it was the top the top of, uh, of the fur was was a brown, and the legs were had stripes. Like a, ze- like a zebra. Yeah, uh, I know that one. I, I don't. I can't remember the name of it. Actually, it's, it's called a waga. <laughs> I don't know the weird name where it comes from, but mm. that's that was uh, that documented the first time in that in that species. <laughs> so, oh, uh, Nancy, break time. Yes, it is. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Say What Show. It's November 18th, 2023. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is Walt Silva, Mona Radler, and Jan Shaw. And Dolly is not here tonight. She's with her family. And that last picture that she sent me was of her kids cooking something. (laughs) Anyway, so um, you got any more on that subject? Kind of a weird thing. Those Mayans, they definitely... uh, we're bigger and better than what we thought. <laughs> Hello? Are you guys here? I got a picture of the... Uh, let me see. Okay. Let me see. There are some that say the Mayans just ascended and disappeared. Well, I don't did think so. They walked through so. the vortex. Well, they, mm-hmm. they, they did go into space. They are space-faring people because when I used to do the shamanic journeys for people, mm-hmm. uh, I actually, I was astounded because I said, this this looks so out of place. Remember the original Lost in Space series where the space suit it was, it up, was up to their neck and it, was, it, it looked all silver? You know, even their hands, the uh, the the Robbins family, and in, in the series Lost in Space, which was in the six, sometime in the sixties. Well, yeah. when I did a shamanic journey for someone who had a question from their guides, uh, they showed up in a ship in orbit. But the weird thing is, like I said, this is, I remember, I remember my reaction to witnessing. I said, this looks so out of place because I know that I was. In space, but yet the 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 I guess the vehicle where they were it was like a it was like a Mayan pyramid. I said, "What is a Mayan pyramid doing in space?" And the Mayans even they 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 had the skin and face of the Mayans and the long hair, but uh, their clothing was all silver. It was like like a silver suit. And I was like, "What? This looks like it looks so, <laughs> so, so sci-fi." I thought, well, "This is kind of weird." But my attitude is always complete respect because you never know what you're looking at. But they, they were actually in a ship in space, and these people were Mayans. So obviously, they didn't get extinct. They just got out of the planet because they were they were there in orbit. Well, I wonder space. if it's a, a one of the stargates, you know, because I mean that's been suppressed completely, hasn't it? The stargate system. Yeah. Which, I was just uh, going to say that movie Stargate, the 
critters were going, they were flying in these pyramids. Uh-huh. Well, I, I watched the whole um, Stargate series, yeah, not the movie. And that was, I mean, I think it was David Wilcock that said, you know, that is actually, a, there's a lot of truth in that. That's why I watched the whole series. This is going back a few years. But, I mean, they reckoned that that was why they went into Iraq to find the Stargate. And there are other Stargates around the planet. So it makes you wonder whether they ended up going through the Stargate, you know. And the same thing with the Israeli-Palestine stuff going on. Mm. So it's not a political issue, it's just hidden technology that's still hidden underground. And I'm talking with the mic off. So you're saying that they that this was all to get into Gaza to be able to find some hidden technology that's there? It's not like they haven't done it before. I mean, you told me the story yeah. of Bill Brockwader and with the, uh, where they were on, uh, what is it, in Afghanistan? How no, they were Iraq. in Iraq, where yeah. they those um, uh, they wanted to get rid of those people because they they were protecting the 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 gates, and they didn't want that. Museum too. Yeah, the museum had a whole bunch of stuff in it that they wanted. So they had a, a they basically had a riot, and the people were rioting and taking pillaging the museums but it was the cover-up for what they had already taken out of there well you've read chariot of the gods right yeah okay what did he show us from space that you couldn't see was there unless you were looking at it from space say that again the pisca lines and oh oh right 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 yes that other stuff that was there yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't that about the same area that the Aztec would have been at? Yes, in that vicinity. Um, oh, South America is is crazy. I mean, there's so many weird things there. I remember one, and maybe you guys, maybe Walt, you've heard about this, that there is some kind of a doorway up in the, uh, is it the Andes there? Oh, but, you, where the Incas are located, there's a on a cliff. On a cliff, there's this doorway. Yeah, yeah. And this man found a. Uh, he's a. Uh, what do you call it? Um, he's like one of these, uh, like you, you know, these aliens that are born here on Earth. Uh-huh. And he he went with his wife to this thing, this door, this door in in Peru, and he found that. There were three specific notes, and when he arc, arc, he, arc, he voiced those three notes, he disappeared. Whoa. He yeah. actually, he left, even, even though there's the frame of a door, it's, it's a rock. It's not, there's not an open door, it's just a rock. But he, uh, when he voiced this three, these three notes, he was gone for I don't know how many hours. And they, they were worried, uh, his wife, and they were looking, the other people were looking, maybe he showed up somewhere else. And hours later, he, he I guess he voiced those notes again, 
he showed up in the same place. Hmm. You know, it's weird because it well, just came well, back to me that when I was, I mean, I used, I used to read everything that I could get hold of. And a lot of them were novels, you know. But I was reading all these books about the Aztecs and the Incas. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't even tell you what the titles were or who the authors were. But it was fascinating to me reading about those cultures. And, I mean, it, it was talking about sacrifices and God knows what else, I think. But what, why was I drawn to those? Was so, the Philistine prophecies around that area too, let alone the Carlos yes, Castaneda yeah, books? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. My favorite books, Castaneda. Mm. Do you, um, Walt, do you remember what he said about his experiences when he was gone? That's one part. I, he was uh, interviewed by Michael Salas. Uh, he's in one of the, his shows. And he spoke about leaving. And, and I was <laughs> I'm paying attention to everything that he's saying. But he didn't elaborate as to what was on the other side. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, damn. Just yeah, when he, why, why doesn't Michael ask the right question? Okay, what would what did you find on the other side? Where where you go? Where right? Where, where <laughs> <you>? <laughs> what sprung to mind was that scene in Lord of the Rings where they're gonna go in Mordia. Mordia? No. Mordor. Mordor. No, it was where they decided they had to go in through where the... the oh, you mean the mines, the mines yes, of Moria. Yes, the mines of Moria, yeah. And they had to, you know, have this password to open the no. door. Just the password is... <laughs> the word is, is friend. So yeah. it's Melham. Once you, once you say Melham, it opens the door. <laughs> mm, yeah, it just reminded me of that, what you were saying. <laughs> I, I, I heard or read or saw something about somebody at the same place we're talking about, okay, who also somehow or another ended up someplace else. And what he said he saw... If I, and it was hard to understand because, again, I think you don't have words for some of this stuff. Right. But he felt like he was in a, and this this was so weird, but he said he felt like he was in a different place altogether. Not, not Earth, not 3D, nothing like that. And that he was in some kind of a simulation. Mm. Because he could perceive the simulation. But... I mean, I, and, and this was years and years ago that I'm hearing this story and I'm going like, your mind starts getting a little boggled because I'd never heard of or thought of somebody thinking that maybe we're in a simulation. And so it, it wasn't something that was really resonating with me from a, you know, oh yeah, I've heard that before. No, it was like, what in the hell is he talking about? But he said the most, he said the thing that, that spooked him out sort of like blew his mind and he ended up back outside of it, so who knows what really happened, was that he looked up and he saw like a eyeball looking back at him. <laughs> it sounds like the holograph deck on Star Trek, actually. And, um, I mean, I don't know if any of you have read the holographic universe. Um, David Icke talks a lot about 
the holograms and you know the kind of um we're in a simulation in effect you know it's really that that book richard talbot or somebody like that holographic universe i read years ago and basically saying everything we're seeing is a hologram and all sorts of scientific uh arguments about it and then he goes into a lot of the metaphysical manifestations of it it's really fascinating are we in a hologram <laughs> are we are are we projecting our um our our kind well, of programmed concept of the think about the universe it we, we're living in we we don't have we are not we're not in a in a, the first of all we are not living in the reality we want because we have been duped cheated yeah. into creating of it the the reality that a small group of people evil evil people have convinced us to create for them so mm -hmm. it's not really our it's not really the our reality it's not the reality we want but we it's, do have to watch our words because we do manifest our existence. Exactly. So that's why we have to be mindful, and and in order to get out of this uh, of the simulation, we have to create our own, and we have well, to this we have to constantly be mindful. Okay, I want this. No, I don't want this. Don't yeah. we not choose at all? Because wouldn't that be simpler? Because then we would just be part of it instead of. Stuck by yay or nay or it's uh, it's up to us to decide because we do have the power of choice. What happen? What happens is that sometimes we're not bright enough and we end up choosing incorrectly for ourselves. But we do have the power of choice. But I I apologize <laughs> profusely, so it's, you know done. <laughs> but do you think? Do you feel you're actually part of it or you're observing it? I mean, I often think. Well, I'm just observing it. I'm not uh, really part both. of it. No, it's both because we each are part of the fabric of the whole manifestation. There are parts of this manifestation where I I can't even register it. Like some some people tell me uh, this I they they just seen this or this this just happened and uh, I'm like I'm looking around is what just happened? I don't see anything. What what are they talking about? So there are whole chunks of this whatever this illusion is where I, I can't register it. I guess I'm not there because mm, like, like people, the background people too, right? Yeah. <laughs> people that are not really there, there and the not there. <laughs> There's no real consciousness, but they play the part. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to figure out what's real and what isn't. And it all is and it all isn't. Mm. You know that's that's the thing is you pick and choose what it is you want to to manifest. I mean, I could say that you know the fact that there were so many of us that didn't buy into the conspiratorial stories all the way back through World War One, for God's sakes, um, that we manifested the dark side because we believed in the dark side. You know, you, you get into that kind of a thing is how much do you manifest when you begin to look deeper and deeper into what could be an alternative reality or the reality you're actually living in? Well, unfortunately, 
we have to be mindful of okay who are you paying attention to because so many people get pay attention to those that sell you this this uh, uh, bill of goods that oh yes you need you need the darkness because without the darkness you can't that's that, that's bullshit you don't need anything you don't need the darkness that's just a, that's a bill of goods they tell you to to believe in it so that you 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 sustain it guess what it doesn't work well for example let me give you an example here i just recently saw one of the one of the shows with janine and she asked the question why is it that uh, the planet pluto was downgraded why was what was the reason behind downgrading the planet pluto from uh, a legitimate planet to a planetoid or a dwarf planet I mean, it's was there something? <laughs> and she was, and she drew the, the the cards, and the 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 answer was was true, because it's a very powerful uh, celestial body. It has a lot a lot of uh, effect and significance. And guess what? According to the her interpretation of the cards, people's consciousness, they are the ones that they are the only ones that have the power to downgrade the planet. But nobody felt for it. Nobody truly believed that it was a planetoid. They kept believing that it is a, a legitimate planet. So it didn't work. They couldn't downgrade it. They 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 do the the books. Oh yeah, science declares that, that Pluto Pluto is a planetoid. No, well nobody believes it. Well, they're Therefore, it, it didn't work. <laughs> so it, remember the Mandela effect and what kind of conditioning it did to us. Uh, and have you heard about the Mandela effect since? No. no. I, I know about the Mandela effect. So they've been messing with us just to see where we would be to go to. And I guess a mass situation because look what they did with COVID. <laughs> well, it's, but, uh, more, it's more likely that the... That what was happening was that there at the time that the Mandela effect all started happening, there was a lot of timeline shifting around. Right. And, you know, the people that disagree with me as to what the history was. Let me give you an example. Because this is such a stark example. Right. The One of the primary teaching things that I learned was the concept of the hundredth monkey oh. and that that was a situation where a Japanese team of scientists and a British t team of scientists not knowing that this each of them went to an island where they were studying the same type of monkey and the British uh, the, the 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 in both islands there the the uh, food the basic food was potato but one was a sweet potato and the other, no, I guess they both were sweet potatoes. But the, the British, when they came in and the scientists started to, you know, work with the monkeys, the monkeys would sit around and watch them just as much as the scientists were watching the monkeys. Right. And the scientists would take the, the, the potato and they would wash it before they cooked it and eat it. So one by one, they started noticing that some of the monkeys had started to wash their potatoes and they thought well this is really kind of odd 
But when the hundredth monkey was spotted washing the potato, every monkey on the island began to wash the potato. Well, the separate right. island. Weren't they separate islands? No, yes. there's no island. I'm going to get to the second one, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the Japanese were investigating the same monkeys. But mm-hmm. over there, they were eating rice. They weren't eating potatoes. Okay, mm-hmm. so there was no learning thing there on that in that particular island. But on the same day that the 100th monkey on the British island and everybody started washing them, Every everybody on the island that the Japanese, all of the monkeys began to wash the potatoes. And it was like, what in the hell happened? You know, and it, until the British published their study, the Japanese people didn't realize what had actually happened. And that became known as the 100th monkey syndrome. Right. And they, they did, uh, I mean, this was back in the 60s. And... I watched different or found different experiments that they did to prove that this is a real phenomena. It wasn't like this one-off type of thing. So when I wrote Cosmic Reality, I talked about this because it, it was critical to me, my understanding of, you know, just how certain things happen and like no, learning, knowledge. And... Um, it's, Jean Rockefeller messages me and she says Jack, her horse that's a, you know, spirit of somebody very powerful in, in a horse, she said Jack said to put that back put whatever you took out in the book last night put it back and she said I don't know what he's talking about well when she said it to me I didn't either but then I realized that uh, I never made a change to the book until it was almost done. And I took out that particular discussion of the hundredth monkey because I had read a very knowledgeable report by somebody who said it was bogus. It never happened. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't believe that that report, but that was in the midst of the Mandela effect. And I said, okay, so on one timeline, the man, the hundredth monkey didn't happen. But on my timeline, it did. So I'm putting this thing back into the book, even though I know I didn't like to put in anything that I thought somebody could come up with uh, an argument against. If I knew the argument, if I thought that some people would believe it, I might not talk about a particular subject. So I decided not to talk about it, take it out of the book. But then Jack makes that. And so then I put it back in the book, but I put it in the end of the book instead of the beginning of the book. And it made a lot more sense at that point. But that Mandela shift, it's one thing when you've got a Mandela shift where the Bible, everybody's Bible starts to say something that none of us remember it saying before. But what happened to me was before, again, the Mandela effect writing the book Cosmic Reality. I had been in um, uh, Tombstone, Arizona, which is kept very much like it was in the 1887, like that time frame. And I went to the Boot Hill Cemetery, the famous Boot Hill, it's that cemetery. Mm -hmm. And there were uh, crosses and wooden, uh, you know, what do you, uh, like, 
stone thing, the you know, tombstones and that sort of thing. And I had a Polaroid camera with me. Well, I take a picture of this one tombstone because I, I was walking by it. I was very tired. I was exhausted. I really wanted just to get home. And I'm walking and all of a sudden I like get drawn to look at this tombstone. And what it said was that Luke Short killed, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Charlie Smith, I think. Charlie Smith. And gave the date. And I already knew that my past life was a guy named Luke Short. And I already knew that he supposedly had shot this guy in a gunfight in Tombstone because there was a plaque on the you know, hanging there that, that Luke Short killed Charlie Smith on such and such a day. And um, so I remembered the picture. It was a, po- a, a Polaroid, and it was only specific to me. But when I went and got the picture, the original Polaroid, and took a scan of it and everything, that type of thing, to put it into the book, it never, it didn't say Luke Short killed uh, uh, Smith. Charlie there. Smith. Charlie yeah. Smith. It, that was not the name of it on it. It didn't say anything like that. It was. Now it said that. Um, what his? What's his name? I mean, I, I know it so well. But what it said was that such and such person. That's his grave. That's basically all it said. You know. Um, but this guy was not. It did. It said differently. In other words, that Polaroid had changed. Whoa. But it made sense that it changed because the guy that they were talking about was a guy that I knew in this lifetime, and he remembered being that guy, and we'd had a whole conversation with it. It's a long discussion. I don't want to get into it now. But I knew exactly who the guy was that they, they said is in that grave it wasn't like some other name i didn't know i actually knew it in the narrative of my own life and that's the guy that actually killed luke short so like kind of karma cleansing i, I mean I, something well, I, had to happen i think it was a mandela effect in that well no time, i get that part but i mean what did we come across to find out Besides it being many different timelines, what really was the Mandela effect for? Well, I think that the timelines were shifting. Right. And so, in other words, it, this wasn't some, something that would affect everybody. It would only affect me. I was the only person that knew about that picture. Right. Okay. And yet I had seen what is a Mandela effect. And this was before the Mandela effect started being talked about. But yours was a memory. Well, it was more than a memory. I had the photograph. I'd looked at it for, you know, yeah, but 20 two years. different timelines. Because the when timeline, you were there with the Charlie. Huh? Yeah, timelines had shifted. So it, it, there with Charlie, it was years and years and years ago. And then, but for you to go in there but and take. This is proof positive that consciousness exists far beyond the concept of time and space. There because you go. if if it, if it, if consciousness did not exist beyond time and space, she would not be able to remember. But or she's remembering both. 
Mm-hmm. She's remembering the first one and she's remembering the second one. The only way you can do that is by existing, by your consciousness being outside of time and space. Well, her oversoul, maybe because she said she was tired. She wanted to go home and nope, instead she took a picture. Yep. Of so well, the, the guy's name, the guy's name that was on there instead of Charlie Smith was John Heath. I remembered mm-hmm. John Heath. Now, the story gets a little, I'm going to tell it because it's just, you know, it's, it's fascinating. The visit that I had that day, earlier that day, we had gone into the Tombstone Courthouse that now was a museum. And with me, I had a Native American who was from a, a tribe in Arkansas, and they believed in reincarnation. Mm-hmm. So... When we started to get near Tombstone, um, I suddenly said, what's the river doing there? And I, I, it startled me because I, I said it, but I, I don't know what I was talking about. And I said that, uh, you know, to Ada, her name was. And there was another girl, Susie, she was driving. And Ada said, well, that's the San Andres uh, River in it. And there was a, an earthquake and 100 years ago it shifted a mile and a half. But I'm going like, how do I know that? You know, that it wasn't in the right place. And she said, oh, you must have lived here before. (laughs) I mean, she's so nonchalant about it. So as we went into Tombstone, which is kind of locked in time because it's the same buildings, you know, everything was the same. That um, I just kept having these flashback situations. So we go into the museum and I walk up to this big plexiglass frame and in it it had these photographs and and uh newspaper articles concerning this man john heath who had had a run-in with the wide earp and the wide earp gang of okay corral fame and had left the area ended up in mexico became some kind of a a rustler or a thief or something went back to bisbee area and his gang robbed the bank. He didn't. And he was brought up in charges and, and tried in that very courthouse and found innocent because he had an alibi. But the townspeople got so crazy about it that they lynched him anyway from a telegraph pole. Oh. Okay. But what happened was that when I started to look at this thing, I went into a complete trance. I mean, like, standing there just out of it. To the point that Ada, when I finally came back, Ada was shaking me, you know, because she was trying to get me back. She she Mm -hmm. said, oh, where did you go? And, you know, I was like, and that's why one of the reasons I was so tired was I kept going through these really emotional, you know, dance with with this guy, Luke Short, that lived there. So... You know, fast forward in the time, so that was that first visit to Tombstone. The next time, which is only a couple of weeks later, I went with, um, Susie was still there, Ada was not there, but we had um, my roommate when I was at basic camp in McCullen and her husband. And the only thing I really knew about her husband was that he was a medically retired Air Force colonel. And so... The girls wanted to go do some shopping, and he and I decided we wanted to get a beer. So we go off to get a beer, and we're drinking the beer. And he suddenly said to me, I need to apologize. 
And I know the guy from nowhere. I mean, you know. And I said, apologize for what? And he said, it was an unfair gunfight. And I, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I said to him, does the name John Heath mean anything to you? And he said, no, the name doesn't. But I remember. I remember the whole thing. And he proceeded to tell me John Heath's story. And he even finished with it. With a, so I go to trial and they found me innocent, but then they hung me from a, a telephone pole. And I, I was so stunned by what he was saying to me. I said, no, it was a telegraph pole. And he went, oh, you're right. It was a telegraph pole. So it's like, I mean, and he was John Heath. He had, um, it was in such an interesting psychological thing because we talked about it, like, you know, that just talked about it. And what he, Luke Short was a gambler, but he was also a very nasty, 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 powerful man. And he actually ran the Earps in Tombstone. He was their, their leader. Well, uh, John Heath was a, a, just a local guy. And the local guys were being, you know, really overwhelmed by this group of conspiratorial kind of lawmen that were just extending their powers and getting rich off of it. So John Heath bl blamed mainly uh, Luke Short because he was the leader of it. And he felt, he was very young, very young, just, you know, he's 18, 19 years old. And he believed that if he killed the head of the snake, i.e. Luke Short, then, you know, everything would go back to, to being right again. So he goes to the Imperial Cafe. I'd already had a weird, you know, reincarnation connection with that. Um, and he, he calls out Short. Short was at the bar. And he calls out Short. And Short was drunker than a skunk. So he turns. And as he turned, he dropped his, his right hand like he's going for his gun in the eyes of John Heath. Um, but he was just turning around and just dropped his, his, he didn't even know what it was about to happen. And Heath, being young and unexperienced, just fired and hit him right in the gut. And John Heath, I mean, uh, Luke Short fell off the stool and was laying in this dirt floor and embarrassed as hell. Just embarrassed. He died embarrassed. But that didn't stop anything because the Earps just stood in and, and started it up again. But they were after Heath. The OK Corral gunfight was all about this episode. Do you find this in the history books? Can you Google this? Is this there? No, it's not there. Not there. And yet I know that the guy that did this to me apologized. So on my timeline initially, that was a true story. If you look up Luke Short now, he died an old man. Not true. I mean, it was true on that timeline, but not true on the timeline I'm talking about. So... My feeling about the Mandela effect is that unless you're really, you know, lucky to have had experiences like I did, you wouldn't have understood. You couldn't. How, how what, what do you use a reference point to be able to understand shifting timelines? So every time I would see this another Mandela thing, I, I could see it as part of the old story or, you know, 
whatever. I mean, there's two timelines, A and B. You know, and A is picking up things of B and, you know, because we were changing timelines at that point, too. So I don't know if we live in a simulation, but I'll tell you, we definitely live in a very squirrely <laughs> reality where the timelines shift on us. Well, this, that, that's a belief system that we have to get out of. People believe that, okay, there is one time. Yeah. Well, that's the, because the cabal programmed us to believe that there's one time and theirs is the only one that counts. The truth of the matter is there's multiple times because everyone gets to choose what they want. So are there multiple times? Sure, because everyone gets to choose what they want. Well, they're parallel <laughs> universes in dimensional times. Yeah. I've well, walked we, through some. They're strange. I've seen their corners. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's that is supposed to be natural. It's supposed to be natural. It's unnatural that we should live on on a single timeline. What's natural about that? That's not natural. Uh, that was that was imposed upon us, but it's not natural. We've been so robbed of our humanity. Yeah. The first well, time they cut the umbilical cord. Go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say, what you believe, you perceive. So we've been sure. indoctrinated into believing a certain reality and our our perception is stuck in that belief of that reality. I mean, I've been reading uh, David Icke's book, The Dream. I haven't got that far through it. I mean, it's quite a big book. In fact, I've got a stack of his waiting. But he he was talking about how um this reality is a copy of what our actual reality is and that it's create, created i think by the archons who have no creative ability at all so it's a very downgraded version of the reality that we actually should be living in and I mean, to me, that makes sense because it's very low, you know, generally very low vibration. But Nancy took care of the archons. <laughs> why are they? Why are people still thinking that that they're a player? They're not players anymore. But did she get rid of the creation that the archons? Yes. So why? Why are we still in this low vibrational 3D well, because environment? The Archons was just one story. It was no. just a, what, one story in, in, a, in a huge, huge novel, you know, that goes on forever and was, has been going on forever. Ripple mm -hmm. um, effect, right? Yeah, and, and to, to, to Walt's point, nobody's talking about it now. I mean, when when it when it started up, everything was the archon, the archon grid, the archons, the archons, the archons. I mean, every place you look, somebody was talking about the archons. And so I said to him, we were on live radio, and I said to him, I said, well, what is this archon thing? And you ask the question, you get the answer, you know. And then all of a sudden, I find myself in a totally different place. It's like a a laboratory, but more like a factory laboratory. <laughs> And, I mean, I, I'll get that tape someplace, and I'm looking around, and I'm what I saw was virtually heads of humans that were 
being put together in like this super, super duper computer that were archons. That was who they were. They were the archons. In other words, the dark side, it seemed like it was Atlantean, to be honest with you. It seemed like it had that that feeling to it. But I didn't get into those details. I was trying to figure out what the hell I was seeing. But all these people were tied into one circuit. And that circuit was then being sent, okay, as a computer signal through time and space to affect what was happening at the time that we were making that show. And so um, at that point, uh, I basically said to the Jen, what am I looking at? What is this? And they explained to me that this was, you know, what what it was. I mean, because on my, my own, I wouldn't have figured out what I was looking at. But the Jen are explaining to me what it is they're doing. And so I said to them, I said, are these people doing this because they want to? Did they give a, a contract? Is there free will involved? And they said, no free will was involved, no contract. And I said, so we can intervene. And they said, we can intervene. And so I said, okay, well, let's just stop it. And what happened next was that the signal was already out there. There was an Archon sub-signal in our reality, okay? So what happened was that the djinn sort of like said, this is already set in place. It's already happening. Um, And I said to them, well, can you do something about it? And they were like, yeah, we can do something about it. They can do almost anything. You just have to ask them. We can do something about it. But it was this concept of ultimate unbelievable evil that I was focusing on at that point, that these people are being manipulated, they're in constant agony, It's it was just horrendous. And so I said, um, well, do we have permission to stop this? And they said, absolutely. And I said, then let's do it. And the next thing I know, the, the view that I've got of this thing is that the, the signal kicked back and essentially everything in the building just started to blow up and the people that were managing all this were just screaming and getting blasted killed you know and and that's where the story sort of stopped and also the 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 story of the archon stopped everybody stopped talking about him until jan mentioned it But then we're still living in the kind of reality that was created by them. And I want to go back to what you were saying about the 100th monkey, because, um, and this is rhetorical, I'm I'm not making an argument here, it's more of a question. Maybe it's not rhetorical, but it is a question, because the 100th monkey is based on the concept of quantum entanglement. So... In effect, what you've got is you've got a, a you know a group of monkeys in one um, colony who adopt a new um, behavior, which through quantum entanglement gets picked up by the same species, completely remote 
from the original ones. So how does, if, you know, my question is, and as I say, it's a rhetorical question, how does this work in terms of the consciousness? I mean, we talk about the collective consciousness a lot, about how we can influence the outcome of the planet. But if we've got um, a, a significant population that buys into all the um, psyops and everything else, does that operate in the same way that the hundredth monkey does? That it's it's kind of almost like a plague across the planet. Exactly. Where, yeah. Exactly. But it's more. It, well, it's quantum entanglement in that. Okay, every individual has a consciousness that has like a, 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 a an indicator that that's Nancy Hopkins' consciousness. Okay, Jan Shaw's. You know, it's it, we're all independent, but we have this connection in a group kind of concept to the humanity of all mankind. That's why I do these radio shows because if it goes back to the rule of reality is what you think it is. If you begin to know that you are connected to everybody on more or less depending on how many connections you make environment your job your heritage the genetics is involved in it but not as much as people think there are so many energies that are part of you because of your own individual experiment experiences that it connects you to other people that have the same energy signature so when when we do these shows we're, I'm tar targeting all of humanity. The key thing that pulls all of humanity together, that's in super consciousness. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to affect. And what I see happening is that when somebody hears some of the stories that we, we, we tell, okay, they go, oh boy, is that a crack of shit? But it's gotten into their heads. And then, you know, a little bit after that, somebody says the same thing. And what happens is that person goes, oh, I've heard that before. So you got a second check off and now it's not a pack of shit because somebody else is saying the same thing. So when the monkeys, when the one group of monkeys, you know, started washing it, it was that image, that concept of washing the, the potatoes is going to be better. That was in the consciousness more so than just uh, uh, the quantum connection that you have like when, with shungite, every piece of shungite is absolutely tied to every piece of shungite because it's, that's quantum connection and they, the monkeys have the quantum connection, but in the case of the monkeys, it was a species. When you're dealing with shungite, it goes beyond that. It goes into cosmic quantum entanglement, if you will. So there's levels of this concept of being able to make changes in people. Um, yes, I think that, that what happens is the hundredth monkey thing occurs and all these people go nuts and they're doing this thing because they're vibrating at a vibration that is conducive to that particular concept, okay? But if you don't have that vibration, if you just think that that's a pack of shit, I don't care how many people believe it, you're not going to. Well, this, this is a lot to, related to what I said on the introduction to today's show and um you know what i 
what I always say is that you can hold, you know, you can take in information, but you can consciously withhold your energy from feeding into it. And and I, I do believe that that is what makes the difference in it's not about ignoring what's going on in the world. It's how you observe it and whether you feed energy into it by being pulled in emotionally or whether you are able to observe it. And, I, you know, I think this is why this whole awakening is happening. And I think that's probably an example of the hundredth monkey in the so many more people are awakening to the truth because they are focusing on the truth and not on the propaganda and everything else. And I mean, I've, I practice this all the time. If I observe something that is potentially negative, I observe it without, with, while consciously withholding my energy from feeding into it. There you said the, a very key word. You said consciously withholding. Yeah. And that reminds oh, me I... of, the, of the story that David Icke tells where that people, a group of people in a, in a restaurant in, uh, in, in Brazil where everyone is eating, then all of a sudden this, this group of people start uh, running in from the street And, and people and people that are sitting on the tables, they think that something's going on and they are following suit. They're also getting up off the table and they're running off. And it's just that there was a group of people that were getting together for some kind of party or something. <laughs> and everybody thinks that, oh, something bad is happening. We better go run and see. And not, it wasn't anything important. It's just so there you have it. There were a group of people that were awake in their senses. And they saw that there was no need to be running after everybody. And yet there was another people group of people. They were asleep and they were just following the group, the, the crowd. Caught up. They were caught up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I want to take it a little further because you're saying stay in a, a, the position of observer. Okay. And not fall for the inner energy. I say, no, look at it. And if you think it's not something you want to see, then put out the energy to stop it. No, that's, I don't have a contract with that. No, no, no contract. Well, is there story well the fact that you were, you're not feeding energy into that is the same thing. You don't no, have to withdraw because you've never put it in there to begin with. No, it isn't. It's a conscious effort to stop something that's happening. Unless you recognize it, how do you claim it? Like the natives that saw didn't see the Spanish coming, but there they were. Right? Or am I see, wrong? See, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like to me to me is is observing is not what the game is about. The game is about changing reality to something that you want to see. Well, and yeah, so perhaps you I, you I have to put out you have to put out the energy to counteract what's happening. If you just sit back and say, "Well, I'm not going to feed any energy into it," well, you're also allowing everybody else to put their energy into it because they don't know any better. Perhaps I, mean, I think, didn't finish the equation because I what I was trying what I was saying was that you can observe a problem 
without putting energy into it. I mean, I have trained myself for years, and my horses taught me this, to observe a problem, not put energy into it, and immediately shift to outcome and put the energy into that. So I was so, only really... So that means the problem, you own the... That, that's very key because you are owning the problem, not the no. problem owning you. Yeah. See the difference? Because when you're owning the problem, okay, I choose not to put any energy in it because you're owning it. But if the problem owns you, then you're left without choice. But she it's was just part <laughs> of the situation and the occurrence. She didn't become it. Mm, exactly. 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 That's that's the choice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, it was only half of the equation, but people get dragged into... They either avoid even looking at the problem, so they're not instrumental in contributing to a solution. They they oh no, I can't look at that. Oh, it's negative, and I'm I'm afraid that that is common in the spiritual community. And I'm using the little uh, you know finger. Well, thing. I have to laugh because everybody's been thinking about Thanksgiving. I give thanks every day. And if I can give, I will share. But it's mm. just, it was so funny. I keep seeing these advertisements. I want to effing fuck, oh, pardon me. <laughs> I, I can't find pumpkin pie. All I can find is sweet potato pie. And I'm like going, I don't want sweet potato. I like sweet potato, but I don't want sweet potato. I want pumpkin pie. So I might have to make my own pumpkin pie. Solution. <laughs> But you see what I'm saying, right? Because a lot of people are going to have bad holidays or feel bad because they don't have one to share with me. It's just another day, especially being Native American. When I knew that the pilgrims stole the natives' food and they starved. Mm -hmm. Because they noticed that the um, natives buried the food like in holes, like in cellars kind of thing. So they would have it to go through the winter. So what did they do? The pilgrims were hungry. They went and stole the natives' food, and then they made a story about giving thanks on a Thursday Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, no, they were thieves. They were not, they weren't, you know. <laughs> mm. an, an unreal story. Should we be surprised? No. <laughs> no, not at all. So I just try to nonchalantly let people get away with what they're thinking. But if they wanted to know the true story, I would tell them. Mm. I would tell them that y'all just don't have a clue. That's like Valentine's Day is for love. No, it was a massacre. Yeah, it was Lupercalia. It's based on a Roman celebration. It has nothing to do with lovers. <laughs> well, look at Halloween, you know. I mean, Oh, God, that's the worst of them all. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no. but the veil is thinnest on that day, and I've had some Halloweens I could write novels on. Oh, maybe you should. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Good old memories, though. I mean, all right, we're down. We're down to like the last minute here. Um, so, uh, Jan, would you like to say goodnight? Well, good night. It's been a really interesting conversation tonight. I have to say, I've really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me because it's not my normal week. <laughs> yeah, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. But thank you for being here. I so appreciate it. And Mona, what would you like to say? 
Do give thanks to people every day and don't forget Dolly's love blankets and, you know, share what you can, but it's an everyday thing. It's not just a fourth Thursday in November. And be blessed because we all have blessings, even though we might not recognize them, but we're all blessed. Well, quickly. I agree with Mona and I, I, and I think everyone should be giving blessings and gratitude for everything. Not just one or two things. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next time. Say what? Say what radio show? With no agenda. It's always a surprise. But if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. <laughs>